Oh Lord, I come to you this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging that I'm an old man and my memory is not what it used to be. But Lord, as is my day, so my power will be. And I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to say the things that need to be said and forget the things that don't need to be said. So come Holy Spirit and empower me with yourself so that as I open my mouth, I may open it with boldness and that I may declare the mystery of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mystery of the gospel with power and boldness and clarity, with succinctness and with practical application. And we pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never come to that point in his or her life where they have surrendered their will to you, where they have renounced their own efforts to save themselves and cast themselves on your mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ, today would be that day of a sovereign work of grace. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Now we want to look at this first horse for a little bit. And the first horse is sometimes confused with, uh, with another horse. And uh, if we look, for example, over at Revelation chapter 19, some people think that this first horse uh, and its rider are identical to the horse and rider that we find in Revelation 19.11. Let's look over there at page 1935. And uh, this is what we read in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. Now, there's no doubt who that rider is. That's only one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He is true. No other leader in the history of this world has ever been truly faithful like the Lord Jesus Christ. It says then next, with justice he judges and makes war. And I'll say this, in the history of our planet, from the time our first parents ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, there has never been a judge who truly judged absolutely justly. Never one. Never one. And they can also say this, there never has been in the history of our planet, a war that in every respect was a just war. Notice the qualifier, in every respect. Some wars are legitimate. I think World War II was a legitimate war. But it was caused because a group of inbred relatives got mad with each other and started World War I. Never think about it. Don't forget that. World War I began when a bunch of cousins who were very inbred got mad with each other and they started a war. And that war changed the world. World War I, which we'll see later on in a very powerful way. So only the Lord Jesus Christ is a truly just judge. And only the Lord Jesus Christ has ever fought a war that was absolutely and totally just. All other wars have a measure of injustice in them. A measure of injustice in them. 
Now, we're, we're told here, his eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, diadems. Very different from the word that's used to the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Whose blood? Never forget this. Christianity in the first 300 years of its existence never conquered by the sword of the flesh. Only by the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So conquest in the first 300 years of Christianity was by the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and by prayer. And they did conquer. They conquered the Roman Empire. Not by shedding blood, but by allowing their own blood to be shed. It was the blood of the martyrs that was the seed of the saints. And so Christianity conquered the Roman Empire. I want you for a moment to contrast that with Muhammad. Muhammad conquered the world by shedding other people's blood. Muhammad, and I earned my doctorate studying him, Muhammad was a violent man. If you want to know what he was like, all you have to do is read the Quran. But more compelling are the hadith which are the stories about Muhammad written down by his favorite wife, whom he married when she was nine. Muhammad spread his religion throughout the Arabian Peninsula. And then after conquering Mecca, someone evidently poisoned him. And his successors fought among themselves. And there was a division. And mainly in Iran or ancient Persia, a group followed one of his sons-in-law, and that's Ali. And those are what we call the Shia, or the Shiites. And uh, the rest followed mainstream Islam called Sunni Islam. But the most radical Muslim sect is that in Saudi Arabia. Make no mistake about it. Iran is not the most radical Muslim country. Saudi Arabia is. Saudi Arabia is. Still today in Iran, Jewish people and Christian people have some limited measure of freedom to worship. But in Saudi Arabia, absolutely none. It is the most radical Muslim nation in the world. The point I'm going to make is this. When I had a Sunni Islam imam in my home for supper one time with his wife and their four children, the wife ate in my library with my wife and their teenage daughter did the interpretation. But he was of the Saudi Arabian division of Islam. And uh, I showed him a dagger that was in my uh, display cabinet, and I brought it out. I had purchased this dagger in Jordan, and it was handmade. It's silver and camel bone. And he started reading the Arabic, and he said, this is a Shiite dagger. (laughs) Wow, okay. (laughs) So anyhow, other religions have often been spread by the sword of the flesh. But the Lord Jesus Christ spread his kingdom by shedding his own blood and by his followers following in his example. And in verse 13, he, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. 
Whose blood? It's his own blood. And the one who opens these heaven seals is the one about whom we looked last week. He is the one who is worthy of all honor and praise and glory because he was slaughtered as the Lamb of God that he would purchase a multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's who opens these seals. So I want to say in Revelation 19, there's no doubt that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's also some connection, if we turn back to Revelation 6, there's some connection with Zechariah 6. But I'm going to say again, while there's some similarity, we can look there for a moment, just go left. Uh, one One of the prophets at the very end who prophesied, uh, after the Jewish people were allowed to return to their homeland under the, under the Iranians. <laughs> I'm not preaching pro-Iran, by the way. But anyhow, after they were allowed to return under Cyrus the Great, who was a Persian emperor, Cyrus the Great. And uh, what we see here in Revelation chapter 6 And verse 1, page 1476, it's interesting that Cyrus the Great historically is said to be someone who conquered with a bow. Who conquered with a bow. I'm not saying this is Cyrus the Great uh, in Revelation 6, but I am saying it is of interest that Cyrus the Great, the man who defeated the Babylonians... Conquered with a bow. He's well known for that. And also, in the lifetime of the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, being dictated to by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Roman Empire was held in check in 62 AD by people who lived in ancient Iran, the Parthians. They were not the Iranians, uh, they were not the Persians, but they eventually settled in that area and, and established the Parthian Empire. And they were famous for their bow shots. So that's kind of interesting. I'm not saying the, these uh, identify the person. But look quickly with me, if you would, there, page 1476, where Zechariah says, I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my Lord? The angel answered me, These are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. These are not the horsemen of the book of Revelation. These are sent from the Lord Himself. These are godly, good spirits And they're sent to go out and patrol the north, the east, the south, and the west. So going back to Revelation 6 and verse 1, page 1919, we ask ourselves, who is this? Well, it's Donald Trump, of course. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) No, of course not. I'm going to submit to you this. The lesson of the four horsemen is this. They apply throughout history, but at the end of the age, they will apply in a very special way to final, uh, a final enemy of Christ, the man of sin. 
So let me say it again. They apply throughout history, but in a particular way before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to earth, they will apply to a final manifestation of evil. So we cannot find an identification in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2 for the rider of the white horse. Because we don't know who he is. He's everyone. Do you know what today is? This is a very special day. It's the 104th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution. Why is that a special day? I've always been interested in Russian history. Just before I married Sandy in 1968, I took a course in Russian history. And I took it because so many things happened in my lifetime involving Russia. Uh, I lived near an Air Force base. And uh, we, were, we were anticipating in the wake of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was a total mess up uh, on the part of everybody, uh, but uh, we, we, were, we were taught drills. We would go out in the hall and close the door to the classrooms, and in virtual pitch dark, there we stood waiting, <laughs> drilling in case the warning came of the missiles being fired at military bases. I never will forget being in that dark hall, and a sophomore girl started screaming. And I think I mentioned this before one time. And a female teacher walked over to where she was. She followed the voice and slapped her in the face. What would happen to a teacher who slapped a child in the face today? <laughs> Let's see. Track, is it uh, what that jail? Okay. I've been in that jail. Anyhow, downtown. She did it because that was the only way to stop the hysteria. And hysteria is more contagious than COVID-19. But I remember those days. I was always fascinated with Russia. In fact, one week after Sandy and I celebrated our 50th anniversary, back in, back in 2018, we flew to Russia. Because it always had fascinated me. And we'd saved our, we'd, we'd saved our rubles. And uh, we had seen on Masterpiece Theater... Viking River Cruises. And we took a Viking River Cruise from St. Petersburg down to Moscow. And uh, that was fascinating. It was almost two weeks long. We learned so much. When we were in St. Petersburg, we saw all of these places that are such an important part of the events that took place 104 years ago today. The Bolshevik Revolution. There'd been a moderate revolution when the Tsar, Nicholas II, who was a good family man, but a terrible political leader. You know, it's oftentimes that paradox. The worse the man is as a, as a family man, the better he is as a politician, and vice versa. Nicholas loved his family, his wife and his children. Trouble was, he married, he married a distant cousin. Uh, and she was German, which wasn't the most popular thing to be married to during World War II when his cousin, uh, Kaiser Bill, declared war on Russia. And I never will forget the scene because I've read the book and I've seen the movie, Nicholas and Alexandra. See, Nicholas and Alexandria, Alexandra 
spoke different languages, but they had a common tongue. What was the common tongue of Nicholas and Alexandra? I'm using it right now. They wrote their diaries in English, so we have very accurate information of what went on. Very accurate information. So they're all happy. Oh boy, this is great. We're glad that, that Kaiser Wilhelm II has declared war. We're going to whip him. And did they? Oh no. Oh no. Kaiser Wilhelm was sure he was going to conquer. You know, Kaiser Wilhelm is right there in, in, in verse 2. He wanted to conquer and to go conquering. Verse 2, Revelation 6-2 is about everyone who is ambitious throughout history to extend power and control over other people. Make no mistake about it. So the Russians fight a defensive war. But the trouble is they did not have the material. They had the manpower, but not the material to defeat the Germans. Wow. And because Nicholas persisted in fighting that war, his country fell all apart. And never forget this, there's nothing more incompetent in the military than a politician in charge. Serious. Nicholas decided to leave St. Petersburg, which was the capital of Russia at that time, and travel to the front. And while he was gone, he left his German wife in charge, and she had gotten hooked by a TV preacher. No, TV wasn't invented back then. By a man named Father Grigory Rasputin. He was a mystic, and he supposedly could do all kinds of cures. And so he held St. Petersburg captive by his deceptions. And the country fell apart. Rasputin is dismissing ministers and hiring ministers. We're not talking about preachers. We're talking about civil servants. The country went into complete decay and dissolution. You know, never forget, you're not competent to do just anything. God's called you to do one thing or maybe two or three, but when you go doing things that you don't have the competency to do, you're just making matters worse. So here is, here is Kaiser Bill. He's going forth conquering and to conquer. What happens in the wake of Kaiser Bill? Well, Kaiser Bill is defeated. And what happened in the wake of that? When he's defeated, Germany has to pay reparations. And the French and the English really extracted it from them. They broke Germany. So it ended up that Germany decided they'd just print money. And they printed so much money it was pathetic. And what happens? They experienced shortages of food. Do you know at the very end of the Weimar Republic, people had to take Deutschmarks? in wheelbarrows to go buy a loaf of bread. Sounds like some of the things we're seeing here. The white horse is a rider who's ambitious. My wife and I started watching a series called Chernobyl. Do you know what brought down the Soviet Union? It wasn't that Ronald Reagan outspent them. What brought them down was Chernobyl. And if you want a picture of what bureaucrats are like, 
that is an excellent documentary to watch. Because I'll tell you what bureaucrats are like. It's covering themselves. Covering themselves. Don't ever let people know the truth. Do you know how Chernobyl became known to the Russian people? Because the radioactive material was detected in Sweden. And they were able to figure out exactly where it had come from. And once it came there, then it's on, it's on the nightly news in the United States and all the countries of the world. But you know, under Gorbachev, they still deceived the people. They still said, no, no, it's not that serious. Let me tell you, Chernobyl is still active. It's just covered over. It's just covered over. Chernobyl, that's what brought down Mikhail Gorbachev. That's what brought down the Soviet Union. When ordinary Russians realized you can't trust the nightly news. When ordinary Russians realized they couldn't trust the local politician. And when ordinary Russians realized they couldn't even sometimes trust their own doctors. There's a scene in there, and the lady is an amalgam of a number of Russian scientists, where she goes in Belarus to confront the head of the Communist Party. And she says, here's what we're, we're looking at here. And he said, well, he said, Moscow, blah, 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 blah. And she said, but these are the facts. And he said, I prefer my facts to your facts. And she said... I'm a nuclear physicist, and you worked in a shoe factory before you became the head of our local Communist Party. You know, conquering and to conquer. And there's a scene near the, in the fourth of these episodes where the motto is up there. Our goal is the happiness of all mankind. Do you know that's what the Bolsheviks believed? Do you know on this day, 104 years ago, the war had become so unpopular, but the Tsar continued to fight it, and when he abdicated, the Kerensky government, which was moderate, continued to fight it, because our country and other countries were putting pressure on Russia. We can't afford to have you pull out. And that's what gave us world communism. Because the Bolsheviks, led by Lenin, on this day, 104 years ago, attacked the Winter Palace, which was the seat of the Russian government at that time. And the sailors had mutinied. Four battleships came into the harbor there at St. Petersburg. And on the battleship Aurora, about 9 o'clock last night, they fired a blank, and that was a signal to all of the people inside, inside St. Petersburg to begin the revolution. So the shot was fired last night, and this morning they began the attack 104 years ago on the Winter Palace. My brothers and sisters, there are a lot of lessons as we look at Revelation what happens is you read further, and we won't look at each of these horses. You follow, you see that in the face of an ambitious government, we've got to have more territory. We've got to have more land. We've got to control more territory. We've got to have more land. We've got to force our will on others. Look at it throughout history. Do you think Alexander the Great had good 
good ambitions. He wanted to make all men Greek. He wanted to bring world peace. He wanted to establish the oikomene, a civilized world where everyone spoke a common language, where everyone had a common culture, where everyone had a common religion. And yet Alexander the Great's four generals that took over the world after he died as a young man were some of the most brutal people in the history of the world. The Jewish people suffered more under the descendants of Alexander the Great, I'm speaking now of his generals, than under any group of people in Jewish history before World War II. They were violent. They tortured the Jewish people. They did all of that. So this is the truth. What always follows the ambition of people whose motives are good and pure. You know, when you look in the mirror, you say, you know, my motives are good. My strength is the strength of ten because my heart is pure. And yet, people are what? If there's anything that's true of human beings, including you and me, it is that we're self-deceived. Total depravity doesn't mean people are as bad as they can be. It means that no part of human nature escaped the effect of Adam's sin. So I look at myself and I say, my motives are good. Sandy was wrong. I'm right. (laughs) That's never right. She's always right. I don't know. It's the most amazing thing. She's always right. And... uh, But again, I look at myself and I think, my motives are good. Don't you realize that every world leader in history looks in the mirror and says, I'm a good guy. I don't think that was true of Joe Stalin, but I do believe it was true of Adolf Hitler. You mean that Adolf Hitler could look in the mirror and say, I'm a good man doing good things? People's ability to deceive themselves is beyond belief. And so behind political ambition, behind these wonderful, grandiose ideas, our goal, they had it at the, uh, at the city near the nuclear facility, is the happiness of all mankind. They really believed it. But what always follows in the course of such ambition, the red horse of war, because I don't want Russia to rule over me. I don't want Germany to rule over me. I don't want the Greeks to rule over me. And it's always war. And what is in the face of war? A black horse. And the black horse rider is carrying a set of scales. Scarcity. Humans not having enough to eat. And what follows that? It's the pale horse. And in Greek, the word is to remind us of how a corpse looks. How a corpse looks. That's always what happens. But I want us to look one last place. And that is, turn with me if you will to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. So we look at a world that's insane. And it is insane. And it's getting more insane. And why should that surprise us? Page 1724. Why should it surprise us that our world's getting more insane? Because we're moving towards the eschaton, the end of the age. And as things move on, listen. History is not the story of man's upward climb. 
History is the story of man's descent into hell. Have you ever thought about it? Back when people used to fight. I'm talking about up until modern warfare. Up until then, people fought seeing the enemy, fighting with a bayonet, shooting him with a rifle later on when rifles became perfected, fighting with swords, and then they looked the guy in the eye. Terrifying. You know what today? You can take a young guy right out of high school, get him in the military, train him, put him in a, put him in a trailer in the Nevada desert, and give him a joystick and controllers and cameras, and he can control a drone in Afghanistan or anywhere else, including Robeson Road. He can control, and he can detect, sitting there in a very cold trailer in the Nevada desert, he can control that drone. He can detect heat inside the building. This time of year, you can detect that there are bodies in here. It's being occupied. And then all he has to do is punch some buttons and boom, we're all destroyed. Warfare is getting, on the surface, more humane. But it's a paradox because war is far more inhumane as we advance with the Chinese and a hypersonic missile. Wow. History is moving somewhere. And I want to tell you where history is moving ain't a good place. And it comes to material. But let me look at this with you for a moment. In verse 26, verse 26, Paul is at Athens and he's addressing the people there, the philosophers gathered at Mars Hill, Areopagus in Athens. And this is what he tells us. And he says, from one man or one blood, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now, what are we, what are we learning here? Well, that's just like Revelation chapter 4, 5, and 6. It's the Lamb who was slain, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, about whom we looked last week. He's the one opening these seals. He's the one releasing these things. Remember of the man going out to conquer and to conquer? A crown was given him, not a diadem, but a victor's crown as in, as in Roman and Greek games. Given him. It's given him. He was given authority. You know, no one in history has ever ruled without divine authority. And there's a bit of, bit of a, a confusion here. Satan could say to Jesus, look at all the glory of all these empires throughout the, horse, the course of all history. I'll give it to you because it's mine to give. Now, Satan a liar? Yes, but he also lies most effectively when he tells half-truths. He was given dominion over the earth, but limited absolutely powerfully and sovereignly by our sovereign God. And this is what we see. The Lamb, who is the Lion of Judah, who shed His own blood for you and me, that we might be a kingdom of priests. He is the one that is releasing these things. Why is He doing it? Well, there's retribution on a 
sinful, unrepentant world. But here's what we're told here. And this encourages us. Verse 27. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. What's he saying? He's saying all of the hellish, horrendous, horrible things that have happened in human history from the dawn of history on. Behind them all is a sinister force, Satan. But over and above Satan's power and dominion and control, there is a far more powerful force, and it is the force of our Lord God. And specifically in the book of Revelation, it is the power of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the Lamb that was slain. He's directing history. He's opening the seals. He's revealing and authorizing the terrible things that are happening right now in 2021 that will not get better in 2022 unless there's great repentance. He kills with death. The word death there has a reference to plagues. All these terrible things. Why are they happening? Why are they happening to us? Why are they happening throughout the world? Why is there so much pain and suffering? Somebody once said there are no atheists in foxholes. I don't know whether that's true or not. But I'll tell you this. When everything gives way, when the banks don't work anymore, when Social Security's dried up, when you can't get medicine, when plague has taken your family, when you're in the middle of a war, when blood is being shed on the right and the left and you bury a friend, when you've had to shoot a man to survive and you have to live with that, all these things, God's behind it for one reason. He wants each one of you. And He wants me to seek Him. Because God's goal for us is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing in the world. If the stock market crashes, it's on a rise right now because of a pill. If the stock market crashes, if the dollar is worth what a Deutschmark was worth at the end of the Weimar Republic... If neighbors die on the right and the left, if you're in the middle of a war, if we're invaded and terrible people come and do terrible things as they have throughout history, God has a purpose. And that purpose is that men and women and boys and girls would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know the Lord? That's so important, isn't it? And this supper was designed by the Lord Jesus Christ to be a constant reminder of the gospel. It's not by my good works, not by my efforts, but it's by the efforts of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who allowed himself to be slaughtered in our place that we would be saved from eternal hell. May we pray. Lord, we pray as we gather to remember your death, your burial, your resurrection, your ascension, and your coming again by means of this meal, that you would set apart 
these natural elements of bread and the fruit of the vine, that as we partake of them, we would find by the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith, ourselves communing and feasting on Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.